You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, the 12th of October. It's a beautiful, bright morning here in TW11. It was a gorgeous day yesterday. There's some quite nasty stuff forecast for tomorrow, Thursday, which will make it interesting as regards ground at Asker, particularly for the participation of those horses who might want it on the on the decent side. Just had news through from trainer Charlie Appleby about modern games participation in the QE2, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, the intention is to declare uh, modern games and then be on weather watch from there on um if it was genuine soft ground description was soft um then unlikely to run but the decision we made you know potentially on the day but um we we uh, we intend to declare him all being well tomorrow and then uh weather watch and, and see where we are on saturday morning or saturday by saturday lunchtime should we say all right, Jane Mangan, RT and Racing TV broadcast, listening to that. Jane, modern games would add rich spice to the, the QE2. Let's just keep our fingers crossed for the weather. He does, and he makes the race all the more interesting. We know he he prefers a sounder surface, but you've got Jadumi supplemented. You've got the Revenant, who's a previous winner, but probably not as good as he was. So it looks like Inspiral will be very, very short at the top of the market if Modern Games doesn't show. So I think it's crucial for the QE2 that he does, and hopefully we'll get a fair surface to get a fair race and the right result. More on Champions Day in a little while, but first let's focus on the important news of the day, which is that Racing's workforce has been granted a a boost of sorts with a deal done between the National Association of Racing Staff and the National Trainers Federation. The headline is a 14.5% pay rise, but we need to delve deeper beyond that headline. In a moment, I'll be speaking to, to Charlie Parker, who's the chairman of the Thoroughbred Group, about how this will be funded through the industry. I'll also be taking the pulse of what's happening in Ireland as regards relative pay rates and what the Irish Stable Staff Association has agreed with with their trainers body. But first of all, Paul Johnson is the chief executive of the National Trainers Federation here. And I asked him, first of all, just to take me through the mechanics of this deal. The, the idea that it's um, 14.5% um, increase on everybody's costs is, is obviously not quite correct. There's, um, you know, we're increasing minimum rates for certain groups of staff, um, many of whom would already be paid those those levels anyway. So it's more a case of underwriting um, the uh, the levels and making sure that they're um, that they're not going to fall below that at any point, and that, that the younger staff and the more skilled staff are protected in them in what they do, and they're, they're paid the right amounts of money. Who ultimately should should bear the responsibility for making sure the workforce is being paid fairly and properly? Um, well, I mean, I think NARS and uh, obviously have a responsibility for that, but we, we've all got a degree of responsibility, haven't we? Because ultimately, we're we're working in a sport where the welfare of the animals is paramount, and having the uh, skilled staff to do that that care about the sport is of importance to everybody. I think the sport, I saw that I think George mentioned the sport would grind to a halt fairly quickly if we didn't have um, sufficient staff levels. And, and that's really what we're facing at the moment. It's, it's a real challenge. Hence us trying to 
uh, put our best foot forward and actually find a way to 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 bring things along a little bit that in order to get the the right number of staff into service and support that we want to deliver. Where are the key problematic issues surrounding recruitment at the moment? Um, well, that's a good question. We've just run a, a, a process of a, a working group, which taking taking in the British Racing Schools, uh, the BHA, NARS, and trainer input. And you know, there there are a range of issues. Pay is obviously one of them, and the comparative rates of pay for uh, delivering parcels for Amazon, etc. Uh, th- there's also, I think, a slight move away at times from from um, rural pursuits. And so as part of the strategy for the sport, we're, we're talking about trying to make sure the sport is relevant to, to the public. And, and this is probably one facet of that, where if you become less relevant, you obviously you drive less interest in working in the sport as well. So yeah, there are two focuses. One is younger staff. So there's a, a scale for by age and and experience and ability, which ties into the national minimum wage, national living wage. So the the, the, the increases that we've tried to target are for those staff who are younger and are entering the sport to ensure that they're being paid a reasonable uh, wage, which would keep them in the sport, would attract them and keep them. And um, then there are other incentives further up the tree for those staff who have shown their ability to develop uh, and move on. So the whole thing in, in theory should be bring staff in, try and keep them in the sport and try and move them forward to develop their levels of skill uh, to to so that everyone gets some benefit from that. For the 99.9% of owners that aren't spending hundreds of thousands of pounds at the sales over the last couple of days, uh, you know, they're paying about as much as they, they feasibly can in, in training fees. It, yeah, if, if these costs are added to their training bills, are they going to get a little bit back through prize money? Do you think that's a fair way uh, uh, of owners looking at this or, or not? It's a good question, isn't it? And you know, on the face of it, Union announced uh, yesterday in the headline was a fourteen and a half percent increase for um, for, uh, for staff pay rates. If you're an owner, you're sitting there thinking, "I can see where this is going to land." I don't think it's the case. I think, as I said, that um, there are a number of staff or many staff who would, be, would already be paid that rates those rates. So we're not. We did, we did loop the um, the ROA into our discussions, so they are they were aware of the discussions that were being had, and um, I, I think the bottom line is that we the industry strategy needs to find ways to bring more income into the sport because it's the money that's coming into the top that then trickles down to every part of the sport, and and at the moment there's not enough enough money being poured in the top for us. So by the time it gets down to the bottom, we're 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 um, we're scrimping and saving rather to try and try and make things work. We, we don't want costs just to always land on owners. That's not not really the answer for the sport. More from Paul in a moment, and from Charlie Parker, the chairman of the Thoroughbred Group. Bernard Caldwell, who runs the Stable Staff Association in Ireland, is not necessarily of the same opinion as Paul about owners being responsible for the costs. First of all, however, he told me what deal he was striving to attain for his representatives across the Irish Sea. Yes, Nick, the current, the current rate we expect to get is 1075. We had that agreement with the trainers for the last, say, six, seven years. But we did 
uh, we met the trainers about a month and a half ago and we're renegotiating our wage agreement and now we're looking for originally we set off at 15 but I think we're going to settle at uh, 13.50 per hour and that's for a 39 hour week with 20 days holidays so you know we don't have the scaling that you have in the UK uh, for different different levels of when you come in mostly when I have been to Irish sales it's it's 10.75 that's above the minimum national wage which is around I think it's 9.75 so really we, we, we've done well we, we were considered done pretty well with our trainers association over the last number of years we work well with them and and because of the current rate you know the current situation you can't get people in this country we do need to up our game uh, I, I think there, there, there's people will say there's no money around well you know you look at the sales in Ireland here and the UK over the last few weeks, the prices are sky high, even at the bottom level. So there is money out there. Not the trainers are paying us. They they say something they haven't got it, but it's up to them to go to the owners who are trained the horse fund. Say if you want your horse trained, you pay for it, and not to be using cheap labour, uh, you know, as some people are trying to do. So look, at it. we'll fight for our corner as much as we can get. But if we get thirteen fifty, we'd be quite happy with that. Bernard Colwell there from the Irish Stable Staff Association. It looks as though a deal is going to be done then to get an almost 25% increase to the base rate, uh, entry-level stuff. That's 18 years old and upwards because below 18s are treated differently, as he was saying. Let's hear from Charlie Parker now, the chairman of the Thoroughbred Group in the UK, in terms of how this is going to be funded by the industry, in his opinion. How do we pay for it? <clears throat> it's, um, I mean, obviously the prize money contribution is 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 going to be even more important and next year's prize money is going to come under pressure but you know the work we're doing on the overall industry structure and therefore the finance is going to have to factor the cost side in and 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 hopefully if we're successful that you know that will that will ease some of the pressure on trainers and most importantly on the owners fees as well so do you think it's it's reasonable for the trainers to simply take that cost and transpose it to, to the owners. Yep, there's there's 15% that we're having to pay our staff. That equates to a 15% increase in your, in your fees or whatever. I, I don't. I, I completely don't think that's appropriate. I mean, if, if they're already paying staff more than, than the minimum wages they are, you know, that's all already baked into their fee structure. Um, it depends on their own business models and business plans. And, you know, obviously, if they, if they do keep... You know, if trainers do just keep putting prices up, owners will perhaps go elsewhere or, or leave the sport altogether. So, you know, it can't just all be transferred onto the owners' um, P&L account because um, it comes a point where you just can't afford to keep the horse in training. But then you know that in your capacity, the onus will be on you to make sure that prize money is is considered fair and reasonable across the board so that there is something coming back. Yeah, no, I mean, that's always been the case. And, you know, it's it's the ROA has been on this for, for well, I don't know, 40 years or so. And, you know, the, this year's prize money is the highest, will be the highest by quite a long way. But it's never enough. And with costs going up all the time, we've got to keep keep looking at that. And that is absolutely fundamental to the whole industry strategy discussions that were ongoing um and and hopefully you know that's where we're going to come out in 2024 
Let's talk about the industry strategy. Really interesting piece from Bill Barber in the Racing Post. Yes, they seem pretty well informed that the the, the governance talks, which Joe Somerset Smith told me on my show last month would be sorted by now, are not going to be sorted anytime soon because there, there is this un, uh, insoluble issue of fixture ownership between the BHA and the race courses, and that circle simply cannot be squared. You've been in these talks. Where are we at? We're very close. Um, we, I would say, ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent of everything is agreed um, on all sides. The thoroughbred group um, were there, are, are pretty much there. Um, Racecourses still had some uh, stuff to do. Um, time slipped away from us a bit, but we, I, I'd say we're very, very close. Um, I'm not sure Bill's got the right information about the, the, the final piece of the jigsaw on the governance. Um, but that that's another story. We're, we're very close. Um, you're never there till you're well, there. Do you, want to put, do you want to put the right piece into the jigsaw? I, 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 it, it would be inappropriate to talk about what, what we're finally going to sign off. But we're very close and everybody is working hard on it and, and collaboratively. Um, ownership of fixtures will be always a subject of huge uh, contention, but it's not what necessarily we are waiting to resolve. Because if we were waiting to resolve that, we'd all be dead and gone long before anything happened. So, um, no, this is about the, the final bit, and hopefully we can get it done, which will then lead, as I wrote in my article the other day, which will then lead on to the impl- implementation of a strategy that everybody's hopefully going to be very excited about. So Charlie Parker there, more positive perhaps than some of the reports in the paper today about the prospect of racing's governance structure being sorted fairly imminently. His National Trainers Federation counterpart, Paul Johnson, is inclined to agree. Yeah, we're pretty hopeful. Um, There's been, obviously, it's been rumbling along now for, uh, well, most of my time in in role when I, I started in January. So there's... I've said before, there's a real will to to try and get this over the line. As with any of these sorts of deals, there there inevitably are going to be the, the final tossing of eyes and, and crossing of T's that, that are necessary to make sure that everyone can move forward. But I don't think there's any... The, the will to get this done hasn't been diminished from anybody. I think there's just genuine, a few genuine small questions that need to be finalised. I don't, I don't believe it is insoluble. I think that it's a it's a situation that exists. Uh, sometimes it's about getting the right wording in around agreements to make sure that everyone can be comfortable with that, that their their rights aren't aren't affected, um, and that's what's trying we're trying to resolve at the moment. Well, finally, I was interested to know what both parties thought of this debate taking place against the backdrop of money flying around left right and center at the at the bloodstock sales and how they how they squared that in their own minds it it, it is a big <laughs> it's a dichotomy i mean there are lots of factors at play in the in the what's happening in the breeding world i mean the book one bears no relevance to the, the, the real world in some ways a lot of that is about finding a stallion finding a, a fantastic mare about building up families about racing abroad you know racing around the world book book two uh up the first day was pretty much the same as last year you know, it's always been a pretty strong book. Yesterday went a bit mad again, but yeah, I mean, it is it is a, it is difficult to equate what goes on 
on that side of it to what goes on on the track. And what's even more difficult is when you're relying upon government to perhaps make some changes to levy or or whatever, um, and you plead your case, which is a very precarious financial case for British racing. But at the same time, they read headlines about um, 120 million horse trade in three days in Newmarket. Um, so it's difficult, but it, it, they are two slightly separate, separate atmospheres. And um, you probably see a more realistic uh, sale on book three and book four. And um, unfortunately, probably those are the horses that will end up running in the majority of races that we put on. Um, so I, I don't think we should be too negative about uh, the sales results last week, which are obviously a terrific endorsement of uh, of, um, of British bloodstock, basically, that, that we're, we're and where we are on the world stage. So there's some real positives about that. But you're right; it needs to. We need to have a sport that benefits everybody, and it's it's not just about. Uh, larger owners spending money it's about as i've said engagement with the sport from the wider public and actually people wanting to attend race meetings and wanting to bet on the sport and do all the things that drive our our income streams so that everyone can be better off and 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 owners at all levels can can thrive well listening to all that was rte and racing tv broadcaster jane mangan jane what do you make of that? I don't think anyone's going to disagree with a with a pay rise for for staff. I mean, I think that's fairly clear. The world is changing. The value of money is decreasing. Markets are in turmoil, but effectively, there's a number of factors at play here. If you take it one side, uh, the industry is experiencing a staff shortage, a, a crisis of its own, because without stable staff and people in the yard then the whole circle doesn't actually flow. So we have to be competitive with other industries. Um, when you consider that inflation is in and around 10%, uh, it's not a surprise to see it implemented in the UK. It's also not a surprise to see that Ireland will follow suit. Um, it's good that the Trainers Association, the NTF and, and uh, the stable staff representatives are in agreement here because... I do. I am always of the belief that if you don't have your stable staff and you don't attract new talent into that pool, then nothing else happens in the industry because horses take a lot of care. It's a lot of work and it's hard work. So they deserve to get paid appropriately for that. Just pick up on one slight discrepancy in what was said there. Bernard Caldwell said, look at all the money flying around. There's plenty of rich people. The trainers can just go to their owners and say, there you are, you pay for it. Effectively, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Paul Johnson said, you're looking at two slightly different things. The, 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 the health of the sales is a good thing as regards the health of British bloodstock and selling horses abroad. And Charlie Parker broadly echoed that. But he agreed that, you know, but the rest of the 99.9% of owners, should we call them ordinary owners, it, you know, it was not applicable to them to say, oh yeah, they're they're billionaires, they can they can afford to to swallow this. It had to be it had to be dealt with in a more complex and nuanced fashion. Yeah, I don't think it's fair to consider the results of book one and the Goss Orby sale as a trickle-down effect for the entire industry because of course it's not those owners a lot of them are taking those horses abroad uh some of them are affiliated with only one or two yards if you look at uh, maybe a godolphin with their select number of trainers and coolmore the same so i don't think there's a trickle down effect uh then you have to consider staff encompasses all staff whether it's 
stud farms, whether it's uh, national hunt yards or flat yards, and they're not all <laughs> represented by by the results at book one last week. So uh, I would say that the pressure on trainers is immense. Um, they will feel defensive towards this. Some of them will appreciate that this was inevitable. This was always going to happen, but they're going to point to the price of fuel, the price of electricity, bedding and feed, all skyrocketing at the moment. And it'll all fall back to the owner because naturally their training training fees are going to have to rise. They can't cushion the blow here. They can't consolidate the effect. But unfortunately, that's the reality. When the value of money falls, the price of everything rises. Right, we'll tie up quite a lot of those themes now as we check in with leading owner Kia Jarubchin, whose worldwide string run in the silks of Ammo Racing, uh, also in partnership with Omni Horse. Um, Kia's been around the sales the last few weeks and there's quite a lot of dynamic movement between stables and between countries, Kia, trying to keep tabs on it. Uh, but the big headline really is that you're moving Crypto Force, your Beresford Stakes winner, from Michael O'Callaghan in Ireland to John and Thady Gosden in the UK. But there's lots of other things going on as well. Yeah, so, you know, it's just that time of year where a lot of yearlings we've we've obviously been very active in the sales um both in keen and uh, in sorry both in us and in the uk um and of course ireland um and it's just getting that time of the year that we obviously have to make space for you know yearlings coming in we have a bunch of horses going to america now um that will see out their careers there um, obviously, with the prize money being what it is, um, their trainers agree that probably we can get the best out of them in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in order to, in order to really, you know, sort of get the get to the next step um, with those, the Beresford winner crypto. You know, it was just a very simple decision. We think there's a lot more racing for him in the UK than there is in Ireland. For for him in particular, we think he's very, very good. And, um, you know, the Chesham run, you know, proved that, you know, when he travels long distances, sometimes it can take a lot out of a horse. And obviously, uh, we have to, you know, put him on a boat and on a truck and then bring them across. So that was just a decision. Michael Callahan has done a fantastic job with him, really great job, and obviously, you know, reaped the rewards of that in the sale. Um, but has has done a great job with him. We won the Group Two, and he comes to John Gosden and uh, to see out his career. Um, and hopefully, you know, we will have um, more horses with him in the future. So you're looking to expand into into John and Thady Gosden a, a little bit, uh, but Crypto Force obviously a, a horse that you're going to train up for a, for a Guineas, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, you know, I've always had horses with John and Thady. Um, You know, unfortunately, a couple of them haven't been that very that good, um, but I've had it with John and Thady for many years. So, make um, I think we go back about four or five years now. So, um, it's nothing new, really. Um, We've also got Tony Montana there that I think of very highly and I hope he's going to come to shine. So crypto will just be another addition. And who, who, which trainer in America are Crispy Cat and Miami Girl headed to? Well, at the moment, they're going to go over to Ocala. Um, uh, they're going along with a horse called Rainbow Ollie. And um, 
they're going to go across to Ocala and they're going to get sort of climatized and then we'll make a decision. Uh, I, you know, we're really enjoying it out there. Um, we had a, a runner that used to be here in the UK called Great King running Gulfstream after two years. He had a bit of an injury, Great King, and he ran at Gulfstream under George Delgado and came third. Um, we had another horse, Thunder Love, that used to run here. Uh, and she went out there and she won in um, Aqueduct. Uh, so, yeah, we really are enjoying it out there. Obviously, the prize money makes a huge difference. You know, Thunder Love was running for a $100,000 purse, and here she was running for, you know, £3,500. So um, it makes a massive, massive difference. How have you been getting on at the sales? How have you, how have you done with the restocking? Uh, it's a tough. It's tough sales. Um, it's been very tough in, uh, especially the ones in um, Newmarket. The numbers have been very, very strong. I think it's been very buoyant. Um, my son suggested that we should introduce financial fair play in horse racing, which I thought was a very good idea. But I'm not sure how 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 physically possible that is. Um, but obviously, you know, the big guys and the big guns are, are, are sweeping up. So it's been tough to compete. Um, but we, I think, you know, we managed to pick up some very, very good horses in golfs last year and the year before. And this year, we also did very well at golfs. Um, Tats has been a bit more uh, of a struggle, especially book one. Um, but we still managed to pick up uh, a decent number. I know your tongue was half in your cheek when you said that about about financial fair play. Do do you feel like you're playing with one hand tied behind your back a little bit? Well, yeah, obviously we are. I mean, you know, it is tough. I mean, you're going out there and you are trying to pick one that, you know, the big guns have missed. And you're hoping that that one is going to be the one that, you know, comes out and does something special. Um, and, you know, it is very, very tough. I think it is very important um, to have a better balance, and I see that I see that in the U.S. You know, there are very much, it's much more balanced. It's much more balanced. There is a um, much bigger pool of buyers, and the buyers are much more diverse. Uh, here, it's a little bit more concentrated, and it's much tougher to obviously do business. Leading out of Keir Option, there was some interesting news. Crypto Force on the way to John and Thady Gosden. Jane Mangan is still with me. Let's talk about Champions Day, Jane. British Champions Day, very much British Champions Day. Where are all the Irish? I think um, there are there look there are a number of representatives coming from Ireland, but they're probably not the best quality. They're probably not the headliners. No, no, the most certainly not the headliners. We don't have a favourite in any of the main races. We actually haven't had a winner on British Champions Day since Kew Gardens and Magical back in 2019. So maybe this isn't something new. Uh, A lot of people will point to Irish Champions Weekend, Arc Weekend, and then rocking on here. Maybe some horses are being put away for the Breeders' Cup. There's an attrition rate. Not every horse can turn up every time. There's a bit of a talent drain. We're aware of that. But ultimately, Ireland will have representation. They'll have... At this stage, you could have Ross Carberry for Paddy Toomey and the Phillies and Marys. You could have 
Insinuendo for William McCreary, Emily Dickinson uh, for Aidan O'Brien. Aidan's probably going to run maybe Stone Age in the Champion Stakes and Max Winnie for Jim Bulger, but they're likely to be huge odds. Tenebrism's got entries in the QE2 and the Champion Sprint. Fozzie Stack could probably run Castle Star in that sprint race as well. And William Mullins has got Stratum um, and Aidan O'Brien Waterville in the Long Distance Cup. But we don't have the headliners. And the reason for that, they're probably not good enough. All right. So is, is there a major problem? Is there a major problem with the dearth of talent? I, mean, I never thought I'd say this. Only a couple of years ago, I seem to be saying, where are all the good horses in Britain? All the decent ones are in Ireland. On the flat as well as over jump. So where's the issue here? Uh, the issue is there's only so many horses of a certain level of talent. A lot of them ran at Leopardstown and the Curragh. Uh, plenty of them ran Arc Weekend. And yes, some of them are turning around quickly. If you look at Insinuendo, possibly, and Emily Dickinson is two examples of that. There is only so many horses of that level of talent, and uh, I would say that's probably the reason. And only so many festivals that you can realistically expect horses to turn up at. And if you have an Irish Champions Weekend and a British Champions Day, it's quite difficult to service both, maybe? You could if you skipped France, but France is really attractive. And I'm not saying Ascot isn't, it's £4 million on offer, but a lot of horses did go to France and on heavy ground even if you were intending to back up quickly after france when you run on such heavy ground as was the case in longchamp that takes more out of your horse and that completely scupper your plan well nice result at uh, tattersall's yesterday book two a twenty-one thousand guinea foal became a one hundred and fifty thousand guinea yearling for an all-female syndicate called the gals gals put together by alice kavanagh who's with me now alice there's some wonderful images of you celebrating with all your your syndicate members just tell us how it all how it all came together yeah i mean an incredible day for all of us and as you can see from the footage it meant it meant the world to all of us um we're all heavily involved in the industry hands-on and have worked sales for many years and worked together and uh, some of the girls have worked from my home farm at home and um, others I've just worked with and yeah we decided we were going to buy a foal um, last December and we went looking and all put our heads together and um, we came up with a short list and we followed a couple of foals in and, and got beaten on all of them bar him and it's um, turned out to be the most um, lucky lucky one we could have landed on really so how has this worked so well for you what are the what are the component parts that's made this that's made this happen um, well I suppose Havana Gray having uh, the most exceptional year I mean no one could have forecast the start that he's had with his two-year-olds and his foals were quite affordable last year because it, it was a risky year for him in terms of he hadn't had any runners up to that point and it was all kind of hanging in the balance whether it'd be a success or not. Thankfully for us, he's been a, a roaring success so far. Um, that and he was a, a wonderful physical foal. Um, he was a great mover, which he, he held on to, thank goodness. And um, he was just really well balanced and put together. Um, he was bred by jo Josh Cameron, who did a great job on him, I must say. And... Um, yeah, he just went from strength to strength um, all through the winter and <clears throat> uh, did really well at home. We prepped him in Kildara at my home farm and yeah, he just he just improved all the time and obviously the sire really helped us out. So what do you all do now? Do you all do you all go in again or do you just you know put whatever profit you've got and say thanks very much? We've had a good run. Um, no, I think we'll we'll definitely be reinvesting for sure. 
Um, whether whether we grow it or not, I'm not sure. We were discussing it over dinner last night. What what the plan is now? But I think we'll try do something similar. Not um, not spend it all at once, and we'll we'll try keep the investments. Not not a huge investment, but try be clever about what we're doing, and and try hope that uh, luck stays on our side again. I guess. <laughs> If you were with me on Monday's podcast, you'll have heard Angus Gold talking about a couple of possibilities for the Bahrain International Trophy, which will take place on Friday the 18th of November, entries for which were released yesterday. Head of racing at the Bahrain Turf Club is Ed Veal, who joins me now. Uh, Ed, just give me a very quick spin through some of the headlines here and, and whether these have surpassed your expectations. Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, I think a really strong collection of entries once again. We've been we've been really blessed in the free runnings we've had so far that this race has, has almost outperformed its its status. It's it's a fantastic time of the year. I think it, it falls at the end of the the European season, and um, it, it seems to be straightforward enough for these trainers to to give one more throw of the dice, which is which is fantastic for us. I suppose, as you say, the headline, and you alluded it to there, is, is Angus Golden. Shadwell very kindly um, leading the way with two really strong nominations in Alfela and Mustadaf. Uh, Mustadaf was a horse we we hoped to get last year, but it didn't quite work out. And then Alfela looks looks a real improver, and you know the horse the horse probably to watch if they are kind enough to accept the invitation. Okay, and um, which other horses are you most excited about having having got on the list? There's a there's a really a, a really strong group of a few a few that have, have been here before. We've got Dubai Future for Saeed and Magni Kors, who was obviously incredibly close, close last year in the running and, and only got run down late on by by Lord Glitters. Um, but high definition for for Mr O'Brien and and uh, William Haggis has has kind of nominated two horses in My Prospero and Grocer Jack. So there's, there's there seems to be great depth to the race. Um, a couple of them running this weekend, which will be really interesting to to keep an eye on and see see how they get on at, at Ascot and um, Sisfahan running of course um, Europe and and Bolshoi Ballet as well in France. So. Um, lots to keep an eye on this weekend, and hopefully the picture will, will begin to firm up um, as we as we get closer to the 18th. As far as the race day itself is concerned, Ed, what what new additions can we can we expect? We're, we're really trying to make make solid progress here in Bahrain, not not just in the Bahrain International Trophy. We're, we're trying to engage the the local public to come racing more. Uh, we've obviously had COVID for the last the last couple of years, which is. I don't want to say dampen the the atmosphere on the day, but it, it's been noticeable. So I would I would really hope that this year is a, a fun day, um, and a day that, as well as gathering huge international interest with with this um, with this strong lineup, that it's something that that the local public here in Bahrain will will get behind. Ed Veal, there, head of racing for the Bahrain Turf Club, from Bahrain to Hong Kong, and J. A. McGrath. I suppose it shouldn't come as any great surprise that Zach Purton is cleaning up in Hong Kong at present. After all, Joe Moreira, his arch-rival, is out of action with a hip injury. All indications are that he won't be back until the new year. And Karis Teton, the Mauritian marvel as he's known, has a thyroid condition that is keeping him on the sidelines for the foreseeable future. Zach Purton, following his seven-timer at Sha Tin last Sunday, has now ridden 21 winners 
a tally that is more than double his nearest pursuer, Vincent Ho, who is second on the list with nine wins. Purton is riding brilliantly. His judgment and skills in the saddle are as ever superb. But his real trump card is his ability to draw owners and trainers into his ambit. He rides for everybody, reminiscent of the old Leicester picket days, long before jockey's agents, when Leicester would phone some unsuspecting trainer and declare, if you run him in that race, I'll ride him. Apologies, Lester, that's a poor impression, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. A phone call or an approach from Purton wins over 99 out of 100. His domination is a reminder that Hong Kong now desperately needs to attract other big-name internationals, so that it's not too one-sided. Competition is good for everybody. Purton knows as much. Only this week he was publicly saying that he'd been encouraging James MacDonald and Hugh Bowman to leave Australia and to come to base themselves in Hong Kong to take advantage of the huge prize money on offer in all races. Hard to fathom, but I genuinely believe him. But let's put that debate to one side. Happy Valley today, and Zach Purton has a full book of nine rides. Six of them are favourites or near favourites, and he's two to one on to be top jockey at the meeting. I think one of his best bets is the magnificently named Kung Fu Master Panda, who was bred by the late Queen by royal applause out of a Saddler's Wells mare. A few years ago, he won a couple of minor races when trained for Her Majesty by Roger Charlton. He was known then as Maths Prize. Long story short, he's now trained by Pierre Ng in Hong Kong, and with Purton to ride for the first time, he will be very hard to beat in a nine furlong handicap today. So it's race eight, number five, Kung Fu Master Panda to win, take him in multiples, including a tote swinger with number seven, TaylorMade, and nine, Circuit Elite. Just one more from, for Happy Valley, and that's to be ridden by Sylvester de Souza in race six, number eight, MM Nebula. Say that again, MM Nebula. Nought from five in Hong Kong so far, but showing a great deal of promise and I think is well placed. So race six, number eight, MM Nebula to beat 12 Birdsville. Take those in multiples. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Right. Uh, thanks to Jim. Thanks to my many guests today on what's been a, a lively show. Jane Mangan is still with me. Uh, Jane, first of all, before you give your tip for this afternoon, anything in particular for British Champions Day? Outside of the obvious, um, outside of the obvious already discussed horses, there are a few that I like. I do think Stay Alert for Huey Morrison and David Egan has a really good chance in the Phillies and Mares. I was impressed with her at Newbury in the Legacy Cup. And I think she's going in under the radar. Um, I was disappointed for connections at Castle Star that he didn't get to run in the Abbey uh, for a uh, technical reasons. So he's after maybe it'll be swings and roundabouts. Maybe it'll turn out to be a blessing in disguise. Castle Star would be a big price in the champion sprint. He'll obviously appreciate an ease in the ground. Um, so they're my two outside of the obvious at double figure odds. Tell me this. What do you fancy for this afternoon? Well, this afternoon, I'm completely changing codes. You know, that time of year where you're trying to remind your brain uh, what the National Hunt horses did last season. Well, I had to remind myself that Galvin beat Aplutar in the Savile's Chase. 
showcase at Leopardstown and that he was just narrowly denied by Frodon at Down Oil. And he began his season last year by winning the 4.30 at Punchestown. Yes, he has to give £12 away to his rivals, but he's the class act in the race. Gordon Elliott has said that he's being trained for the Gold Cup. His Gold Cup will be the race at Down Royal on November 5th, clashing with the Breeders' Cup, of course, the JN Wine above and Down Royal. But Galvin, Davy Russell, Gordon Elliott, it's a big start for him of what could be a big season. Perfect. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, October the 12th. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.